Hey y'all, welcome to Something's in the Closet podcast. Uh, it's Y and Aleha. We are coming fresh right off of the last episode, literally two seconds ago. There's possibly still some spooky shit happening to Wyatt currently. Yeah, so keep you updated if I hear anything. Um, hopefully That's I know. Terrifying. <laughs> Literally, this happened yesterday, and it was so bad. I felt so scared yesterday for some reason. I had to take double the dose of my sedatives, and I still couldn't fall asleep. Oh, my God. I'm just thinking of getting edibles to help me sleep. Because I'm assuming that ghosts won't be able to really do anything to me if I'm under the influence. You know? That is a theory. Yeah, because isn't that like a thing? Like, you shouldn't drink or, like, smoke or, like, ingest Mm -hmm. anything. Um... I think it affects with your, like, psychic connection. Yeah, so then you're less likely to actually see or hear anything if you're going to do something spooky. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I should just have another glass of wine. (laughs) I think the first time I wanted to go see Zach Bagans, I wanted to have a shot, and I was just like, you were like, no, because then, you know, it won't be as authentic. And I was like, damn it. So I went in there without any alcohol in my system, and it was scary. She raw-dogged that shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's a horrible way to put it. But, yeah. It smells like raw dog in here. Ew, what the fuck? <laughs> what does that smell like? I don't want to know. I meant to say it smells like wrong dog in here, but it said raw dog, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to roll with it. Ew, that's <laughs> nasty. I don't know. What Let's that do it again. It no. smells like wrong dog in here. What's wrong, oh. dog? Thanks for asking. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. Yeah. So, what were we gonna talk about? Oh yeah, Beetlejuice Two is happening. I need to know more about this. What's going on? When was this announced? You already told me that Winona Ryder is going to be in it. So that's all I need to know is. Well, um, it's coming out in 2022. It's directed by Tim Burton and it's a direct sequel. So it's not even like Johnny Depp is in it. (gasps) What? How have I not known about this? I fucking love Beetlejuice. Hold up. I don't know. I heard about this for a long time. I heard rumors about it. I didn't know it was actually going to be coming out. Well, Michael Keaton's in it. That was my next question. It's a follow-up to the... It's a, So it's a follow-up to it? What's the plot, though? Is that all? Just, it's a follow-up? That's that's all it is, I think. Oh, wait, wait. I found a plot summary. Okay, okay, okay. The original cast and crew plus new additions return when Beetlejuice is found homeless in the netherworld. He takes it upon himself to travel back to the mortal world seeking comfort, only to find the Maitland house has blown up due to a gas leak, leaving our beloved characters without a humble home to share the love. In search of guidance, the crew travels down to the netherworld, only to find that there's a new sheriff in these parts, the Jersey Devil. Though a surprising turn of events, the self-known ladies' man, Beetlejuice, learns that the Jersey Devil is his long-lost son through one of his numerous love affairs. Lydia Dietz is wooed by the enchanting Jersey Devil, despite being married to a struggling real estate agent. <gasps> David Harper? He's in this 
is scenarios and aesthetic characters. The fun never stops. Though entertaining, it's also a heart-wrenching tale that shows Beetlejuice is just another man trying to find his way in the world. <laughs> Isn't the I Jersey so Devil a dog? Is it? I thought it was like... It's a cryptid. Yeah. Hold on. She is she yeah, it's like a dog thing. Does she so want to like a furry now? Oh no. Oh no. I was excited about it. It was that sandworm that did it for her. Okay, but Lydia Deeds married a real estate agent? Really? Maybe she bullshit. grew up. I hope she stole goth. She better still be goth. She was the blueprint. God, what else do we talk about? We we talked about like everything. I'm drinking my friend's wine like his family owns his vineyard um the second time i've gotten it since i've known it was his it's okay it's really strong um like really strong actually it's like a 15 percent um normally like wines range from like four to twelve so it doesn't taste strong but anyway shout out to you I haven't had alcohol since you were here. I haven't. Oh, wait, JK, I had alcohol on my birthday. One drink because it made me pass Vibe. out afterwards. Oh, yeah, it was your birthday. Oh, I we forgot didn't about, that. about that. talk about that. Two weeks later, I'm, I am now 23. Vibe, you old Guys, bitch. I am old as fuck now. Producing news, college graduate, thinking about studying criminology. Oh, <sighs> yeah, that's another thing. I am saving up and looking into getting a master's in criminology. Why? Because I can, primarily. Because she just wants to be closer to the serial killers to study them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just like being a metiche, and you know, if I have a criminology degree, I can be a profiler, and a profiler knows everyone's business, so that's the plan, and don't get me wrong, I love news producing right now, it is so much fun, it is what I wanted to do, and I love doing it, it's just, I know I'm the kind of person who's gonna want to try other things, so I'm thinking for the future, and criminology is another interest of mine, so we'll see what happens. Speaking of criminology, one of my favorite shows just for release is releasing their new seasons week by week. Um, it's Evil. If you guys don't know what that is, it follows a uh, criminal psychologist, and she gets hired by the Catholic Church, and she tries to debunk demons, basically, and says whether people are crazy or not. Um, it's really good, and it gets like supernatural the longer you watch it. So. Anyway, if you guys want to see that, it's really cool. I love Christian Bouchard and her little canned margaritas. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, you know what I just rewatched that I don't know if you've watched it, but it's really interesting in a disturbing way. And they haven't what? released a new season for it and I miss it. Mindhunter. Have you heard of that? Yeah, it got canceled. No. When did it get canceled? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it got canceled. I just looked it up a couple weeks ago. They just kept saying, we're going to release a third season. We just don't know when. <laughs> because My it's father also was just complaining the, about this. Because it's also the creator who made it. 
What? It's canceled. I just looked what? it up. It's canceled. Sorry to I break your heart. Read... Okay. What ha, the fuck? I'm right. <laughs> I read an article like three weeks ago. How old was that article? From May. <laughs> From May of this year. I can't find it now, of course. But I read an article talking about how the reason why they hadn't gone around to making it was because the guy who, the director, creator, whatever the hell he is, I don't know movies, you know movies, who made it also made Love and Robots, which is another Netflix show that got really popular. And he wanted to focus on that more. So he kind of like sidelined Mindhunter. But never fucking mind. I guess he just decided to just throw Mindhunter into the fucking trash. And now I am pissed. Because that show was really fucking good. No! Wait, my mom doesn't even know. Sorry. Let me text her. Hold on, I'm gonna text my mom. Let's see what she says. Because it's just... Aleha's mom has to make an appearance every episode. Yeah, hold on. Mindhunter <laughs> won't have a third season. Just found out. <laughs> I don't think she's going to come upstairs to like say anything about it. She could. I don't think she's going to. We will await her response on this. Travesty. Because I really like that show. I rewatched it a couple weeks ago and it's so good. You know, I'm looking at this... Um picture i got of zach bagans yeah and it says he's in the library right like that's the room he's in yeah i don't think this is a room in the museum at least it's not open to the public like i've never seen it before i have to look at it i would think it was al capone's room i don't think so because there wasn't a skull in that room oh this just in from my mother no exclamation point she is just yes. as upset as I am. Period. No. No. <laughs> I am s- pissed. You know what? After what Netflix did to me with Stranger Things and can't now finding out. Netflix, you do not deserve my $15 a month. $15? I don't have to pay anything. My daddy pays it. Okay, well, technically my dad pays it, but I'm tempted to tell him, get rid of it. <laughs> you made me wrong. I think I pay for our Hulu. I might. I don't know what I pay for. But. Did you not hear that one? No. What? Wait, was that on? Was that on your end? I thought that was. Stop it. Are you ready to get into this week's episode? I am, because I have no idea what this is about. I don't know if it's ooky spooky. I don't know if it's, par- like, you know, like, aliens or some shit, or if it's another serial killer. I doubt it's another serial killer, because I do the serial killer shit, but who knows? All right. Let me just set up my little notes here. Google Docs, please come out with a dark mode. Please. For the love of God, please. In 1912, a murder in a small Iowa town shook the nation and remains unsolved to this very day. Based off of that description, do you know what we're talking about today? I try to make it as vague as possible. No, all I know is I don't like Iowa. Wait, no, 
I'm thinking of Idaho. Idaho has potatoes. I don't know what Iowa has, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. Murder. A murder, apparently. <laughs> you know what also has murder? Um, Indiana. Apparently, there's a lot of murder going on in Indiana. Indiana, not Indiana. Indiana has a lot of murder. And is Iowa near Indiana? Psychic teenagers. Psychic. Oh shit! You're right. I forgot. Stranger Things takes place there. More spooky shit happening. Um, what? Yes. Um, what did you ask? Um, I didn't ask anything, but I did ask. <laughs> I still don't know what's going on, but I am still very curious because it has to do with murder. Oh. Okay, sick. Yeah, this is kind of a true crime episode. I'm not going to really treat it as one um, because it's such an old murder. Um, It is still really fucked up, though. We love it. Kind of. Okay. Also, it was featured on Ghost Adventures. Um, (laughs) Daddy talked about this. Oh, my God. I'm looking at him right in the eyes. His picture is sitting on my desk. Um, <laughs> I thought for sure that picture was probably going to get, like, pinned in your car or somehow attached to you so you have it at all times. I wish. Uh, I'm going to get this one and then the, another one of Peggy and then have them, like, framed next to my desk. Okay. Fucking psychopath. <laughs> Whatever um, makes you happy, okay. I guess. <laughs> so here's the short of the story. So this is like the overview and then we'll go into the details. On Sunday evening, June 9th, 1912, Josiah or Joe Moore and his wife, Sarah, took their four children, Herman, 11, Catherine, 10, Boyd, 7 and five year old Paul to the Children's Day service at the Presbyterian Church. Accompanying them were Lena, 12 years old, and Ina Stinger, 8, neighbors who had asked their parents permission to stay overnight with the Moore children. The Children's Day service was an end-of-year Sunday school program. Sarah Moore was co-director, and her children performed their their little speeches and recitations along with the Sunday school members. The service ended with a social mingling that lasted at least until 9 p.m. When parishioners left on that cloudy, damp, cool night, no one suspected that neither the Moors nor their overnight guests would be seen alive again. They walked the three blocks to their home. Cookies and milk ended the festive evening, and they all went to bed. Sometime after midnight, the killer, or killers, picked up Joe's axe from the backyard, entered the house, and bludgeoned to death all eight of its occupants. By 7.30 a.m. on June 10th, Mary Peckham, an elderly neighbor to the west, became concerned that the Moore residence seemed quiet and deserted. She called Joe's brother, Ross, a local druggist, I'm assuming pharmacist, who arrived about 8 a.m. to look around. His cautious inspection of the downstairs revealed two fingers covered with a sheet in the back bedroom, he also saw blood on the bedsheet. Ross stepped back away from the crime scene. He called Joe's hardware store, telling employee Ed Shelley to fetch Marshal Henry Hank Horton because something terrible had happened. Hank arrived at about 8.30 a.m. He went through the house and found 
as he told Ross when he came out. Somebody murdered in every bed. The particularly cleaned murder weapon was left leaning against the south wall of a downstairs bedroom where the visitor, where the visiting girls were found. Do you know what we're talking about? I think so. Yeah, I think I know what we're talking about now. So this is the Velisca Axe Murders. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that took place in Iowa. I don't know sure my states. Did. who does who does is it important now no I know what state I am in I know which ones I am next to I know which ones I want to go to that's all that matters (laughs) (laughs) alright so we may be wondering like what happened like what occurred at this house this night right yeah so I'm going to read you some uh Uh, a portion of a Smithsonian Magazine article. This was, and they're reporting on a recreation of the murders that the town coroner um, had done the day after. So this is what he thinks happened. Just after midnight, the assailant was able to sneak into the Moore residence through an unlocked door. He took an oil lamp from a dresser, removed the chimney, and placed it out of the way under a chair, bent the wick into two to minimize the flame, lit the lamp, and turned it down so low it cast only the faintest glimmer in the sleeping house. Some people also think that the killer was hiding in a closet in one of the bedrooms, Um, so they think that he was there before they got home and he was waiting for them. Um, But this is what the coroner said happened. Still carrying the axe, The stranger walked past one room in which two girls, ages 12 and 9, lay sleeping and slipped up the narrow wooden stairs that led to two other bedrooms. He ignored one in which four more young children were sleeping and crept into the room which 43-year-old Joe Moore lay next to his wife, Sarah. Raising the axe above his head so high it gouged the ceiling, the man brought the flat of the blade down to the back of Joe Moore's head, crushing his skull and probably killing him instantly. Then he struck Sarah before she had time to wake up or register his presence. Leaving the couple dead or dying, the killer went next door and used the axe, Joe's own, probably taken from when he had left it in the coal shed, to kill the four more children as they slept. Once again, there is no evidence that Herman, Catherine, Boyd, or Paul woke before they died. Nor did the assailant or any of the four children make sufficient noise to disturb Catherine's two friends, Lena and Ina, as they slept downstairs. The killer then descended the stairs and took his axe to the Slinger girls, the elder of whom may finally have awakened an instant before she too was murdered. The axe man went back upstairs, systemically reduced the heads of all six moors to a bloody pulp, striking Joe alone an estimated 30 times and leaving the faces of all six members of the family unrecognizable. He then drew up the bedcloths to cover Joe and Sarah's shattered heads placed a gauze undershirt over Herman's face and a dress over Catherine's. 
covered Boyd and Paul as well, and finally administered the same terrible postmodern punishment to the girls downstairs before touring the house and ritually hanging clothes over every mirror and piece of glass in the house. At some point, the killer also took two pound slab of uncooked bacon from the icebox, wrapped it in a towel, and left it on the floor of the downstairs bedroom, close to a short piece of a keychain that did not apparently belong to the Moors. He seems to have stayed inside the house for quite some time, filling a bowl with water, and some later reports said washing his bloody hands in it. Sometime before 5 a.m., he abandoned the lamp at the top of the stairs, and he left silently as he had come, locking the door behind him, taking the house keys. The Aftermath The town of Aliska was shaken by the murder, and the townsmen ordered a search party of the surrounding area. They even used hound dogs, and nothing came of their searches, as the murderer had up to five-hour head start on them, and roughly 30 trains go through the town a day. By the end of the day, every dog in the town was adopted or purchased. I'm assuming as like a makeshift security system um, to alert them of any intruders. What do yeah. you think so far? I... See, I have a pre-thought like thought on all this because like I like I've, I know quite a few details. Not a lot, but just a few. And it is weird, but I think the fact that he had five hours on them is still, like, the most, like, damning thing to the police because it's just, like... Because what year was this again? 1911, I think. 19, yeah. Yeah, so it's, like, literally back then, you just had to have, like, an hour on the police. Not even, like, 20 minutes on the police. <laughs> and you were gone. <laughs> There is no way for them to be able to connect anything to you. There's no way for them to be able to say, oh, well, you know, maybe they went this way. Maybe they went this way. No, because you're gone. They can't track you. But also with how gruesome it is, like this shit is so. They were basically headless, like not because their yeah. heads were cut off. Their heads were just that smashed smashed <laughs> that's why they didn't have heads yeah. not because what i think heads. is so weird is that he covered all of the mirrors and reflective surfaces yeah that was another thing like covering like could it be like a religion cuz aren't there some religions that do that the, yeah, there's some religious beliefs that you cover the mirrors so the souls don't get trapped in them. But I don't think that a murderer would care whether or not someone's soul got trapped in a mirror. Mm. I don't know if maybe, like Zach Bagan said in his episode of Ghost Adventures, that he the killer didn't want to see the, his face, basically or himself covered in people's blood. But the problem with that is, wouldn't he have to look in order to cover it? Yeah, I don't think he had a problem with it. I don't, honestly, my best bet is that it's a religious thing. And like, maybe, you know, even though he murdered these people, maybe he was still deeply religious. Cause I think it's a, mm -hmm. 
I want to say it's a Jewish thing, but I might be wrong. Because I know, like, they cover the mirror mm -hmm. after somebody has died. It's after someone dies, they cover the mirrors in the house so that the soul can, you know, move on. So, you know, he could... You would think a serial killer wouldn't care, or killer generally, not, you don't know mm -hmm. if a serial killer, but you would think that a killer wouldn't care. But, you know, he could still be a killer and also be religious for some reason. Um, well, funny you bring up religion, because now we're going to go over our suspects. So, our first suspect that most people really liked, at the time at least, was Frank Jones, a local business owner and state senator. Uh, he was an active member of the town's Methodist church, and at this time, the town was split religiously between the Presbyterians and the Methodists. And if you remember from the beginning of a story, the Moors were Presbyterian. Um, and the Methodist community backed up Jones and are believed to have helping him keep his name clean. He was never charged, but he wasn't. Did you hear that? Yeah. Someone opened my cabinet and closed it. I don't like this. Um. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking cry. I'm not even there. <clears throat> he was never charged, but he was investigated, and the townspeople thought he used his connections to evade conviction and bury his involvement in the murders, since he was, you know, like a senator and respected member of the community. But why Frank? What connection does he have to the family? Well, apparently, Joe Moore had once worked for Jones for several years selling farming equipment, and he was very good at his job. But the demand to work from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. made Moore quit. But upon quitting, he took Jones's John Deere account as well. So Joe Moore was a very successful businessman, and I believe he started his own... Um, business selling farming equipment and since he took the John Deere account I think he was the only one in town who sold John Deere which if you don't know John Deere they're still around today and they're like a um, really respectable brand for farming equipment mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it's also believed that Moore was having an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law who oh. at the time was known to have a large number of affairs around town. She would often make um, appointments with these men via phone. And at this time, um, you needed to make a phone call via telephone operator. Um, so someone knew what you were doing. <laughs> and that telephone operator was probably a part of the town too. So. Yeah. They probably knew it. They were like, oh, she got another, she made another appointment with so and so this week. Mm hmm. So they had things like a kind of like so... Facebook group dedicated to talking about her. <laughs> Facebook group? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they all just gather near a wall and they, they like post something, like a little yeah. paper. They're like, look, I posted on my wall. I posted. Um, <laughs> 1910s Facebook posting on the wall on the side of the church or some shit. <laughs> oh, you know it was at the church too. Oh, 100%. For the church was where you make a gossip. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
things got so bad between the two men that they would cross the street to avoid each other when they were around town. They didn't want anything to do with one another. But since Joan was 57 and not in great shape, people think that he hired someone to take out the family and didn't actually ax them himself. So we're going to bring in an accomplice. James Wilkerson, an agent of the renowned Burns Detective Agency, who in 1916 announced that Jones had hired a killer by the name of William Mansfield to murder the man who had humiliated him. Wilkerson, who had made enough of a nuisance of himself to derail Jones's attempts to resecure election, so this detective fucked up his re-election campaign. Um, <laughs> so he eventually succeeded in having a jury um, to consider the evidence that he'd gathered to show that Mansfield had the right sort of background for the job um, to be hired. So in 1914, he was the chief suspect Mansfield uh, and the axe, axe murders of his wife and her parents and his own children in Blue Island, Illinois. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. So it <laughs> doesn't really explain the mirror thing to me. I don't know. No, it, well, what's but, his religion? Do, do you know? Um, no, but Jones is Methodist. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about Methodists, so I can't say if they do that or not. <laughs> I think it's just a different kind of Christian. Um, yeah. To be fair, I don't know anything about religion because I was raised without it. I um, are, know only what I look up. That makes sense. Only what I look up. Vibe. I um, research it a lot for funsies. Our next suspect here is Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. Yes, the man has four names. God damn. Um, he, he was an English immigrant and a preacher, but also a known sexual deviant. Okay. He, <laughs> aren't they all? Aren't um, they all? <laughs> he freely admitted to leaving town at dawn just before the bodies were discovered. So that's one of the number one things against him. According to the coroner, the killer was left-handed, and so was Kelly. Kelly was obsessed with sex and had been caught peeping into windows in Villisca two days before the murders were happening. And he had attended the Children's Day service at the Villisca Presbyterian Church the evening of the murders. Some people believe they had that he had spotted the victims at the church and started to stalk them. And the investigation had revealed um, a depression and some hay bales stored in the family barn and a knot hole through which the murderer could have watched the house while reclining in comfort. Um, also, one of the children, Lena, had been found wearing no underwear um, with her nightdress drawn up past her waist to suggest a sexual motive. Um, but the doctors didn't find evidence of any assault, but also it was in 1912. 
yeah, I yeah. Okay, yeah, I would say how she was found is evidence enough for that time mm-hmm. that she could have been assaulted, which is ugly to say, but I think yeah. Okay. Um. So another thing against him is that he had sent bloody clothing to the laundry in a nearby town named uh, Macedonia. And an elderly couple recalled meeting the preacher when he came off of the train at 5.19 a.m. on June 10th. And he told them that the gruesome murders had been committed in town of Aliska. He left three hours before the bodies were discovered. And he already knew of the murders. You know, we didn't have Twitter back then or, you know, smartphones. We didn't, so. Yeah, I know we said earlier that they How were you know? talking shit on Facebook in a Facebook group. But they actually, for those who did not know, um, Facebook wasn't invented in the <laughs> 2000s. <laughs> they did not have Facebook or Twitter or They anything. did not have a computer. <laughs> Technology was talking gossip. Yeah, people knew because they talked to each other. He, sh- mm-hmm. he did it. Um, did it. So Kelly had returned to Velisca a week later and showed great interest in the murders. And he posed as a Scotland Yard detective to obtain a tour of the house. He wanted to see the crime scene. Um, so he was a, arrested. Killers like relief, like reliving the mm-hmm. crime. Okay. Anyway, continue. I won't say anything. (laughs) You can can keep chiming in. Uh, He was arrested in 1917 and signed a confession to the murders. He stated, I killed the children upstairs first and the children downstairs last. I knew God wanted me to do it this way. Slay utterly came to my mind and I picked up the axe, went to the house and killed them. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because when you said slay utterly, you had like a brain. (laughs) (laughs) Slay. Slay. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? No, children are murdered. Stop laughing. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so that's what he's. Okay. I. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. But creep. Fuck. <laughs> the couple that had said to us spoken to him the day he went on to the uh, the town over changed their story. And there was very little evidence left to actually convict him, so the jury freed him. They did not accept his confession. Okay. It's mm-hmm. But we do have evidence that they could have both been innocent. So this evidence does not come within Villisca itself, but communities in the Midwest, where in 1911 and 1912, a bizarre chain of axe murders seemed to suggest that a transient serial killer was at work. The researcher Beth Killing Smith had suggested that as many as 10 incidents that occurred close to railroad tracks, and by the way, I don't think I mentioned, but this town was a railroad town, so it was there because of the railroad. Um, <clears throat> so these 
Murders occurred close to railroad tracks and locations as far as part as Rainier, Washington, um, to Monmouth, Illinois. Um, so in some of these murders, there was striking similarities to Villisca crime scene. Um, the pattern first pointed out in 1913 by Special Agent Matthew McCallery of the Justice Department Bureau of Investigation, which was basically the FBI at the time, mm -hmm. um, began with the murder of a family of six in Colorado Springs in September of 1911 and continued with two further incidents in Monmouth, where the murder weapon was actually a pipe, not an axe. Um, in Ellingsworth, Kansas... <clears throat> Three and five people died in those attacks, and two or more in Paola, Kansas, where someone murdered Roland Hudson and his unfaithful wife just four days before the killings in Villisca. As far as McCallery was concerned, the slaughter accumulated in December 1912 with the brutal murders of Mary Wilson and her daughter Georgia Moore in Columbia, Missouri. His theory was that Henry Lee Moore, Georgia's son, and a convicted felon um, was responsible for the whole series of murders. Oh. I... But no one was ever actually charged with the murders. The case is still unsolved. What do you think? Who do you think done it? I still think it was that creepy dude. His little quote just Kelly. Yeah, I think it was Kelly. Because Kelly just... I don't know, I'm still hung up on the daughter and how she was found. And the fact that he knew about the murders beforehand. Because mm -hmm. like you said, there was not Twitter back then. And he literally confessed. And he like literally said, hey, I did this. And you know, I know fake confessions are like a thing, but like, what would he gain from confessing to it other than, I mean, unless he was really that like fucked up, but I, mean, I don't think he was. I, I think he did it, one hundred percent. But he um, just mm -hmm. ugh, I don't know. He grosses me out now that I think about it more. What he did, because <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the daughter and the fact that he knew about the murders beforehand. He so it wasn't just... actually the daughter; it was one of the visiting girls. Oh, the one visiting of the neighbors. Girls. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Little girl, child. Yeah. Small person. Not it's maybe uncomfy. Mm-hmm. Um so this house, as a result of these murders, is now one of the most haunted houses in our country. Sick. And it has been on basically every single ghost hunting show, including Ghost Adventures. Um, with Daddy Zach Bagans. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> so there's cases of doors opening and closing by themselves. There's EVPs going on in this house. Of course, there's orbs. And I actually have a picture of like a, um, it's like a community board that the house has where ghost hunters oh. leave some pictures. Um, like and you can see... Seen? Yeah, they leave pictures that they've taken in the house, and you can see some um, light phenomena in the photos. Oh, that's weird. Like, there's a couple of them where it kind of looks like a like lightning or something in. Mm -hmm. That's weird. 
It's a lot of lights. A lot of lights. Mm-hmm. And then there's one with a person who looks like their back was scratched. That shit looks rough, though. I don't like and I this. love the business cards for the paranormal investigators. You know, you just gotta... Marketing. But in Zach's investigation, he actually caught an EVP saying that Kelly was there. Really? Mm-hmm. Then that just means I am more so believe that Kelly did it then. Mm-hmm. I think Kelly did it. Just because Zach Baggins said so. It was also <laughs> season four when he was kind of an asshole to everybody. Uh, <laughs> so take his words with a grain of salt in that season. Um... Yeah, that's... Wow, we're only at 47 minutes. That's literally all I have. Okay. Well, I found an article from House Beautiful, which is really weird that House Beautiful and Interior Design Magazine is talking about the Velisca Axe Murder House. But you know what? Whatever. Uh, (laughs) It says... Oh my God, this is the perfect... I would have written this if I had stayed an interior designer. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um... Today, the Velisca Axe Murder House serves as a paranormal hotel where groups of six or fewer can pay $428 to book an overnight in the house. That is so cheap, first of all, to get a phenomenal paranormal location to yourself overnight. That is nothing. Exactly. I think you pay more at the Monte Vista and Flagstaff. Yeah. So, but there's not very... Many accommodations. Um, guests should bring sleeping bags because you should not sleep on the beds. I believe they are the original beds. Um, there's pictures oh. of this house. Um, it's really fucked, actually. Um, the author of this apparently spoke to Martha, who I think works at this place. She informed them that she simply hands the guests the keys when they arrive and then leaves them alone for the night. But that's the real key. The problem's they won't be alone. (laughs) Spooky. As for Martha herself, she doesn't like to talk about her own ghost sightings in the house as to not color the experience of the guests. She did, however, share this comment with us when she asked, when she asked, when we asked her who she thinks the ghosts are, I feel like there's something there indeed. There are spirits. You have to realize that six of them are children. I don't know if the murderer still exists there, but there has to be a few things that have happened that aren't exactly calming, but I don't like to dwell on them. For anyone who isn't feeling quite as bold, tickets are available for daytime tours for $10 a person. Well, that's not bad. (laughs) That's a pretty reasonable price, I feel. basically just read an ad for them. Yeah, that's ba- Oh, you're right. Well, if you're this interested in this house and you want to go see it, it's ten dollars. I want to go. I want to go. We still need to plan out our little, our little adventure to go to a bunch of spooky places. Barely, like only in California. I think that's all we've talked about. <laughs> Trying to just go to a bunch of spooky places in California only. Okay, so I'm looking around, and some people say that him covering the bodies with bedsheets and covering the mirrors was some sort of ritual. 
ritualistic murders are pretty common, so I wouldn't doubt that. Mm. I don't like this, but yeah, they do that. The home has switched hands a few times over the past few centuries. No. I heard like something tap on my closet door three times. Vibe. I'm gonna kill myself. Mm. We love talking about spooky things. Anyway, continue before I shit myself. (laughs) Wow. So this is from U.S. Ghost Adventures, which is a website not affiliated with Zach Bagans. Um, yeah. The home has switched hands a few times over the past century, and the reports of unexplained phenomena just keep coming. Disembodied laughter, children's voices playing over and over like a record, repeating the last night of the lives of the kids in the Villisca home. Unexplained screams, movements, and even a strange fog have also been reported. Unusual behavior of visitors to the house also points to possessions occurring in the home. Possessions. So there's possessions too. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny is that this um, article sources ha- the House Beautiful article as a source. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Times are tough. <laughs> wow. Yeah, guys, I'm really trying to stretch this out for you by trying to find some some uh, stuff some shit but um all right i guess this episode isn't gonna be an hour i don't know because we have to cut some shit out um (laughs) oh that was another quick did they have money like they had money right was anything taken nothing was taken right they were just killed i think they were just murdered yeah oh okay yeah then yeah no idea why that was my next thing for the motive perhaps but if nothing was taken nothing was taken yeah. Was there motive? Who knows? Was it no a senseless sin. murder from a transient serial killer? Maybe. Possibly. I think so. Israel Keys is actually a time traveler. Went back in time to commit this crime. Um, <laughs> what, he had a murder kit in 19, 1912? <laughs> he had murder kits all over the country and also all over time. Jesus. Oh, it's horrible. He's a horrible We're man. We're getting canceled. Jesus Instantly. Christ. <laughs> That's it for this episode. If you want to check out others, we have so many others on our Spotify. Uh, you can also check us out on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, just about anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, and if you could, please leave a review. It'll help us out a lot. And if you want, you can check out our website where we have some merch. Some new merch should be coming. We've been saying that for weeks now. Um, But it is still in the process of being made, so that is why it is not out yet. But you can also check out our Instagram and Twitter and TikTok for when that comes out. Uh, But yeah, till then, thank you for listening, and don't forget to check your closet. (laughs) 